Welcome to Hockey Prospect Radio. Your voice for prospect news and analysis on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Now, here's hosts Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. Welcome to Season 18, Episode 25, powered by Instat Hockey, often the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide in Junior Prospect Hockey League, Western Canada's newest developmental stream for student-athletes, Looking to take their game and studies to the next level at JuniorProspectHockeyLeague.com. We're always happy to bring on in our first segment, it's Pat Malloy in our player development segment, building an NHL player. And I want to get your thoughts on Donovan Sobrango, because I know you worked with him, you know, going into his draft year. And what I found really interesting is because of the COVID year and there was the bubble, there was a large taxi squad in the NHL. A lot of the top players from the American league went there. And so, you know, NHL teams did not have enough players to even to like fill roster sometimes in the American league. And I, I think he may have been caught in one of those opportunities where he looked really good in camp. They thought he could play at the American hockey league level. He did for that short period of time. Following year, he goes back to the American hockey league, goes to the world juniors for a very young player had a successful year as a 20 year old. And now this year um, he's bounced between East coast league and the American league. And there's some little bit of aggression there, which doesn't surprise me. If you look at historical average, when you bring in kids really early at the American league, especially 19 year olds, you know, we could use like Julius Honka as an example coming in early from Swift current to Western hockey league. It's just, it's really hard. Like, this is not a forgiving league, the American League. Yes, it's a developmental league, but it's not a development league for teenagers. It's a development league for players that are above 20. Um, thoughts on what you saw going into his, his draft year as we try to piece together his developmental puzzle as he moves forward? Because he's still very young. He's 21, so there's still lots of time for him. Yeah, I mean, you know, Dono's a kid that that does a lot of things well. Um but nothing really jumped off the map. There was no sort of signature skill that I think jumped off. And so, you know, good size kid, but not big, but not small. Um, you know, for me, he's got a bit of gir to his game, but not over the top. Um, you know, a lot of what we approached was just, you know, for a, I would say an average size player at, at 6'1". You know, the, the key for us was just recognizing you know, preparing for the NHL game. How do we create attack angles where you're going to have, you know, bigger, faster forwards that you're playing against, um, you know, from a puck skills perspective, good. Um, but, you know, not Kale McCarr level puck skills per se, um, where he's not going to beat you with his hands, you know, but recognizing the importance of just clean, uh, clean exits, you know, clean possession exits, creating good attack angles, defending, you know, Obviously, one of the hardest things for a young defenseman to do is, is to play at the National Hockey League level, but, you know, creating good stick habits. And so a lot of what we would do, you know, going into the draft year was just recognizing how do I make net positive plays leaving my zone and how do I complement, you know, by net making net positive plays, you know, accessing the offensive zone. And so it was really just starting to lay the foundation for what he would be coming up against, um, you know, as he entered the pro ranks and, Obviously, you know, with the state of the world, that kind of got accelerated a little bit. And listen, you know, from from my time in it and, and, and seeing a lot of young defensemen enter the American Hockey League, it's it's really a, a litmus test to, to, to get to that level and find success. And 
um, it's it's tough. It's a grind, and and it's maybe the hardest position in hockey to play is is to be a young defenseman at the pro level. So, you know, I, I think what we're seeing is just you know some of that that growth curve that that a lot of players will go through. Pat, when you get a kid who's more of a well-rounded, as you as you mentioned, good at everything, master of none, kind of a Swiss Army knife defenseman, and then he's put into a system where I find with Detroit, you know, it's the Eisenman plan. So it, defensemen are tall, huge, and generally he tries to find excellent skaters, right? And you look at the system with William Wallander, Simon Evanson coming in, Shia Boom. These are activating offensive defensemen. Uh, do you play around with the concept of knowing what's coming in around him? And if so, do you feel that then he, you might have to start molding him as a little bit more of a specialist as a result of the fact that they're so fast and activate so often? Or do you stick to that game plan and just say, hey, this is what you are. It's worked for you this far. Let's keep let's keep modifying that to the best we can. I haven't seen him as much since he's kind of got in, embroiled in the Detroit system. So that's that's a great question. I mean, for me, what I kind of tried to mold him as was a two-way guy, recognizing that leverage your strengths, right? So not asking him to be something that he's not. Um, you know, when you look at him, you can see a good two-way defender, although he's going to want to kill plays early and not, you know, get swinging with the big trees down low in terms of cycle play, or, you know, you get some of those heavier teams that'll come in, you know, Boston's a good example of, you know, they, they're, they're able to play that sort of heavy hockey down low. Well, that really places emphasis on, you know, good attack angles and ending plays before they become problematic. Um, you know, in terms of his rush defense, again, good skater, but not dominant skater. So recognizing the importance of closeness and killing plays again before they become a problem. Um, from an offensive standpoint, um, you know, there's there's not a, a huge dynamic factor to him. So for me, it was always just creating habits that leveraged his strengths and really, you know, aiming him into the areas that he would need to do very, very well habitually in order to contribute at that level. So, you know, no, I, I never really got an opportunity to, you know, really break down where he would fit within the scope of what Detroit likes to do. Um, it was more about for me just trying to, you know, recognize and understand what he was as a player and make him the best version of himself because, um, you know, there's, there's a lot there to like, but that said, um, you know, he's not the kind of guy that's going to become a power play specialist. I don't think, um, that that's not necessarily his game, but what I, I do see, you know, if, if he's to reach his trajectory is, you know, is he a, a 20 to 25.2 way guy, uh, if all the stars align and, and, you know, he's able to give you plus minutes and, um, kill some penalties and, and depending on the, the makeup of your team, you, you might see him on a second unit power play, but, you know, in, in fairness, I think that that two way aspect is really where I kind of saw him and was trying to prepare him to, you know, to be really effective. For you is when you look at him as an NHL defenseman, probably if it works out for him, he's on the third pair. Just make a smart first outlet pass. B, you know, make sure that you just make play smart, safe minutes in terms of like so your coaching staff relies upon you, knowing that you're probably not gonna get power play time. And then if you're gonna get second unit penalty kill, because there's gonna be other defenders like you know, we talk about the more siders of the world and, and the Simon Evansons where these big bodies are going to eat up a lot of that, a lot of those minutes because you need to have those type of players. But a guy who can, you know, fill some roles and eat at least 15 minutes a night or maybe even 18 if you really had to a night on that third pair. Yep. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's, you know, it. you get to that level and, and that's one of the things maybe that, that getting to pro at that stage um, where he's not really done identifying what he might become as a player is one of those things where you see, you know, that maybe that extra year in major junior allows you to, to, you know, sort of, what's the word, open a new pathway to performance, maybe from an offensive or a experiment transition. a little bit. Yeah. Without the consequence that's involved with, you know, hockey at the pro level. So, you know, again, it's, it's, there's lots to like about his game. He's a real coachable kid, um, really good, you know, commitment and attitude to getting better, which was something that was always very refreshing. Um, but again, it's, it's difficult. You get to, you know, you, you come through major junior and obviously, you know, in today's climate, everybody wants points, right? They want to recognize that, Hey, you know, I can, I can generate from, from the back end, I can generate points. And sometimes it's lost that, that, you know, that steady two-way hockey being able to defend first and make simple outlets and plays that, that are the conduit to offense is maybe just as or more important in many cases than, than being the driver itself, right? Not everyone can be the driver. And so, um, you know, I think what we're seeing is, is, you know, a 21 year old now, you know, younger player, um, that's obviously transitioning to the pro game and it's, it's, it's difficult. The American league, that's, that's a grind as we know, and, and recognizing how do I fit at the next level. So I think you see a little bit of that of just finding what he's going to be, um, you know, at that next level. Before we let you go, just thoughts on how many times we've seen younger defensemen be put into those positions. And then there's some, a level of regression, um, you know, cause they, they get some early success and then they get moved up the chain. Right. You have success at say as a third pairing as a 19 year old, but now you're moving up into the second pairing role and like against some like tougher competition. And then there's some adjustments in that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you know, everyone's pace and their development is, you know, in a perfect world, obviously everyone would hit their stride early and, and stay there for a long time. That's just not accurate. I mean, it's, it's always a different, and this is, this is why there's no one size fits all approach to development. And, you know, quite frankly, like, you know, playing at a level is not just development. I mean, you, you, there's so much that goes into recognizing here's what we see in your skill set. Here's what we, you know, deem your trajectory to be. Here are some of the checkbox things that from a DNA perspective, if to, you know, to reach your trajectory, you need to be doing um, as a habit based on a daily basis. Um, you know, and you just hope that he's getting that at the level that he's at because, you know, the whole throw him in the pool and let him swim thing. That's, that's one approach for sure. Um, but I think we know there's, there's other ways. And so, you know, helping him figure out, you know, what is the best case scenario for me as a player and, and what's the plan going forward to get there. And um, those are always pivotal in those, you know, those first couple, three years post-draft. That's, that's, I, you know, I don't need to tell you guys, you know, draft plus, three draft plus four, you are what you are at that point. So making sure that the foundation is poured to be the best version of yourself during those times is, is going to be huge. Pat, once again, thanks for coming on the show. A great insight on player development uh, for uh, Donovan Sobrango. Uh, we're going to take a short break on Hockey Prospect Radio. We'll be back right after these messages.
Instat Hockey offers the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. Trusted by leagues, teams, coaches, and scouts at every level of the game. There is no better choice than Instat to help in the areas of evaluation, development, and exposure for your brand. Their unmatched database saves coaches and scouts hours of time as individual player shifts and stats are pre-cut into separate playlists. Also, the option to edit, share, or download your own clips using Instat Instat's video editing tools. Visit instatsport.com hockey today for more information. Instat, the Institute of Statistics. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Outside Edge has built a reputation for guiding hockey players toward their potential and provides on- and off-ice development programs for hockey players. Outside Edge Hockey Development operates all programs on the philosophy of quality over quantity. Our strength, skills, and mental coaches understand the demands of the game and use this knowledge to develop strength, speed, and energy systems so our athletes can reach their potential. The Outside Edge programming features KPI-based strength and conditioning programs, skating, and skill development sessions for pro, junior, midget, phantom, and peewee. Contact us today at outsideedge.ca. You're listening to Hockey Prospect Radio on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We are back in power by Instat Hockey, offering the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. This is our Scouts Perspective segment with Jason Bukla. Jason, thanks for coming on the show again. We always appreciate it. Great to be here, fellas. Exciting weekend in NCAA hockey, Frozen Four on the horizon, so... Lots of good stuff going on. It's all good. So the topic this week is how to utilize video effectively in the evaluation process. And, you know, we've all, we're beginning to always introduce new tools into the evaluation process for, for scouting, particularly in the amateur side. And I'm always, I'm interested to get your thoughts on, because there's always different strategies and tactics of how teams use Video and I've heard multiple, far more than five or six different strategies, and so I'm curious to get your thoughts on you know using that tool and how effective it can be. Well, you hit you know you're you're absolutely right in describing it as a tool, Shane, because that's exactly what it is, right? So it's an added layer of information that you can uh, you know circle back on on a player on a prospect. A lot of times. Uh, especially in the scouting industry, if you're a regional guy, you can start to create a bias on a player, for example, and it allows you the opportunity to circle back and take a look and say, you know, maybe I did, I, you know, I gotta, I gotta look at it a little bit more differently, or I gotta be more open-minded, or maybe I'm overselling that aspect of the player's game. And here's why you can, you know, cut a clip and, and you can, you know, show somebody like myself, the reasons why you're thinking what you're thinking. Um, I have used it uh, more and more over the last three or four years. Obviously, the pandemic kind of forced it uh, upon everybody and they had to start to customize how they use it and how much information they get out of it. But uh, for me, you know, specifically for me, 
you know, I can't get everywhere all the time. So if I read a game report on a player and then I circle back on the video and I can, uh, I can watch, you know, whole games or just situational scenarios, power play, penalty kill, shot blocks, uh, face off circle stuff, uh, all those, all those little categories. Um, it's immensely important to have it. It's, uh, you're narrow minded if you don't use it. And it's an, it's a very important tool. It's, we need to be able to uh, continue to use it uh, in the proper context because uh, there's still no replacing boots on the ground, uh, getting in the rink and seeing it live as well. You mentioned proper context, Jason. Do you mind sharing what areas you feel are limiting in terms of video relative to live viewings? So depending on the one of the most, the biggest inconsistency is from one rank to another, the quality of the video and how they break down play. So you're going to sometimes lose a prospect. Um, let's say it's a power play breakout. And for whatever reason, you know, um, he's the guy that's circling low in the circle. You're going to lose him out of frame sometimes, and, and then you're going to pick him back up uh, on his way up the ice. Or conversely, if he's F1 on the forecheck, and you know he's he's bumping a guy off a puck. There's there's certain ranks around the world that you're late on the scene to actually see the clip. Now they're getting better at it. You know a lot of them are getting way way better at it. But you don't see all three zones um, conclusively in one shift. You know what I mean? Like it's still a little bit of an in and out type of. Even when you watch an NHL game live on TV, like if you watch it, they're following the play at the highest level and there's still moments in the game that you know at home that you're not seeing that you would see live in the, in the, uh, in the rink. And one of the other things I have to say is that I really watch prospects. Um, let's say you're a scorer, you're having a tough night and the coach is on you a little bit. I really watch prospects body language on the bench. I watch how, you know, uh, the coach is in their ear talking to them about something. How do they take constructive criticism? How are they interacting with their teammates? Um, in between, if it's a TV timeout, are they talking about a set play? Like there's a lot of that stuff that goes into scouting. And I think people underestimate that. It's really important to see everything that's going on in the rink. One of the interesting things that I always wish we had, you know, obviously a, a wider range of the camera lens is I want to see the guys on the back check. Like I want to be able to see, do you, do you take the right angles to attack to allow your defenseman to stand up at the line, right? And be able to as we talk about shut down, shut off plays early. Well, the defense may need help to be able to do that. And the forwards, especially the wingers can do that. But if you're like lollygagging on the back check and then the defenseman gets exposed because he needed a little bit of support. Well then, you know, we're hammering on the poor defenseman when the forward wasn't doing his job. Yeah, I totally agree with that. It's a really important point because I'll tell you right now, if you lose a player in frame and some of like you're watching a college game, even on the weekend, you're watching a college game and Matt Coronado is, uh, you know, first thing on the floor check. And then, and then the, 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 the camera's obviously following the puck and the puck starts going back and towards his zone. And then you're like one steamboat, two steamboat, three. Where is this kid? You know what I mean? Like, why is he taking, I'm just using his name as an example. I'm not saying that happened. I'm just using it as an example. But it's extremely important because part of the strategy, Shane, as you know, is that when you're when you're pressing back as a forward and whatever the system is that the, the coach has in place, and we all go to enough games to see what different coaches had different systems, you know, they're going to press the play to a certain side of the ice to support their defense, for example. You know, like they might lock down a winger on the far side and that moves the play to the center of the ice. Well, the forward has to be doing his job. Like he has to identify and he has to be his zone exits have to be as energetic as his entries, if you will. So 
Um, that's a really important point, and that's why you have to be there live until all the rinks start to get better quality uh, video systems in place. Do you feel there's a specific attribute that gets a bit lost on video relative to live? Because I know for myself, for me, it's skating. I find skating way easier to assess in live performances relative to video. Video, it took me years to get trained with the frame rate differences, kick hammer quality differences, rink angles, every, it takes years. So I, I found that was the biggest difference. You have one specifically you find is, is very uh, different? I yeah, I think you're on to one there. So for me personally, you know how scouts like to scout in different areas of the building. Some guys are center ice guys. Some guys are corner guys, whatever. I'm an end zone guy. And so part of the reason I'm an end zone guy is I like to see plays develop in, in front of me. Like it's like, a, it's like a bowling alley. I'm seeing it all come at me. You know what I mean? Wait, I mean one way. That's because you're a goalie. Well, that too. But I mean, except that I was always looking behind me, not in front of me. That's why I'm, that's why I'm a scout, not a goalie anymore. But, uh, or, you know, that's a lifetime ago. But anyways, what I'm trying to say is that um, I can zero in on uh, straight line mechanics a lot better that way if I'm looking at a skater. Because I find if I'm on the side, especially on video, and this, is, this bothers me, I can see small area stuff. You know, Brad, like quick to space and uh, get on your toes. And, but open ice mechanics are best viewed for me when I'm staring at it coming at me or I'm staring at it going away from me, you know, like, is he on playing out of the hole? You know what I mean? Or is he 10 and two, or, you know, I'm giving you some examples here. So everybody's different, but that's one thing. I think you're, you're bang on that. Uh, I wish there was more end zone quality where I could pick up the player and track him up and down the ice better. Yeah. For me, it's always the neutral zone play because the camera pans so fast to the, to the zone entry. And I'm just, there's, you're missing what's going on there. Um, that just drives me bananas. And then you're trying to piece that, that together. You're trying to, and then you're trying to uh, like make assumptions. Okay. Wait a minute. As that player comes into the frame, where was he before? Right. And you're almost like you're connecting the dots in your head and hoping that they're right. Because you just, you're, there's also like, just we have to make, unfortunately, some levels of assumptions based on the quality of the video that we have. Well, I always come back to routes, you know, like I could talk to you guys about it forever and people get tired of hearing me talk about routes, but there's routes to the play in all three zones in quadrants almost, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, 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 and part of watching on video, you have a hard time picking up how the play moved to there, the route, the defender or the offensive guy. Like if you're talking read and react and you don't have the puck, like your route to pressure the puck to create a turnover has to be this, you know what I mean? So if you're attacking on straight lines all the time, obviously you're giving your opponent more options to move the puck sideways. If you're moving in and your route is more on a 45 degree angle, for example, now he's limited because you, the way you're guiding him to an area, you lose that on video a lot of the time I find. So through the neutral zone is a great example. I mean, because there there's you're you could literally lose four or five players on video while the puck's in the neutral zone, just by because they're coming out of one zone and they're going to another zone. So in the neutral zone chain, I think you probably get frustrated by that. You're, you're looking, you're like, okay, I have to wait a second to pick up everybody in the play now. Well, I, I have to pause it because then I, first, I almost want to map it out, like write it out by hand where the D-men are defending and then where the forwards are coming back and then where everybody else is in the middle. And then I have to go back and then I roll the film again. It's ridiculous, but it's because I need the frame of reference of, okay, where, like, what are you doing next? Like for me, cause that's the situational awareness. So it's just like as great as a tool, obviously Instat is for us. Um, and it's getting better every day. 
it's not their fault of what they're only using the film no. that's available, right? So, and thank they like, thank to them, thanks to them for like breaking it down in a whole bunch of different areas. So, I basically I'm like building this crazy puzzle together. Um, but no, that's what we have. That's what we great. have to do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the one thing I, I would say though, and I you know I don't want to get too long for you guys, but the one thing I would say it's it's really beneficial when I'm breaking down goalies that I haven't seen for a while. Yeah. Um, because if you if you're seeing a goalie who's 70, 30, 60, 40, and you miss a start. You can circle back and you see a lot of good video on goaltenders. I think that's a huge benefit. Well, Jason, I want to thank you very much once again for coming on the show. Great insight on our topic and look forward to speaking to you next week. Absolutely. Thanks, Shane. See you, Brett. It's Jason Buchler. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back right after these messages. Instat Hockey offers the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. Trusted by leagues, teams, coaches, and scouts at every level of the game. There is no better choice than Instat to help in the areas of evaluation, development, and exposure for your brand. Their unmatched database saves coaches and scouts hours of time as individual player shifts and stats are pre-cut into separate playlists. Also, the option to edit, share, or download your own clips using Instat Instat's video editing tools. Visit instatsport.com slash hockey today for more information. Instat, the Institute of Statistics. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Outside Edge has built a reputation for guiding hockey players toward their potential and provides on- and off-ice development programs for hockey players. Outside Edge Hockey Development operates all programs on the philosophy of quality over quantity. Our strength, skills, and mental coaches understand the demands of the game and use this knowledge to develop strength, speed, and energy systems so our athletes can reach their potential. The Outside Edge programming features KPI-based strength and conditioning programs, skating, and skill development sessions for pro, junior, midget, phantom, and peewee. Contact us today at outsideedge.ca. Welcome back to Hockey Prospect Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We are back in Powered by Instat Hockey, offering the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. We're happy to bring on Mike McMahon from the College Hockey News. We are going to talk about the Frozen Four. Now that all the regionals have been completed last weekend, we get to mull over what happened, but most importantly, what's going to happen. And I think, first off, let's talk about Quinnipiac. Because I give that university and their coaching staff a tremendous amount of credit because that university doesn't get to dip into the national development program. They don't get to dip into the top end players that are coming out of the USHL most of the time. They don't get to tap into some of the best high school players. So they really have to recruit intelligently, carefully, and they go into obviously the BC hockey league, Alberta junior hockey league, and, and, and they'll jump into Europe. And I give that organization, that university, a tremendous amount of credit because they've been very, very competitive the last five to 10 years, very competitive. So for me, I'm happy to see 
universities like that get rewarded through their hard work to get to the frozen four to show not only they're like, obviously they're players, but prospective players, but other universities that you can do it too. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting because not only do they get those players, but they get them to stick around. And that's, yeah. that's the difference. I think too, when you're going after some of those older guys, like Zach, Zach Metz has been around there for five years, Ethan right. DeYoung, like their top players have been around. They, they're not, I mean, Colin Graf's a sophomore, but they've got, it's a lot of older players who they can get four years out of at least three. Yeah. Uh, and that's, it's so critical. It really is, especially at this time of year, I think. Uh, and that's, they, they've identified guys that not only make a huge impact, especially in the way that they play, uh, but that they, that stay in the school long enough that they have the ability to make a, a big impact over the course of their career, not just on a single season. Yeah. And it gives them an opportunity to get views, get viewed by scouts. You know, and that's one one of the other things is I never see players leave Quinnipiac in the portal. Knows that? Nobody leaves Quinnipiac. Yeah. Yeah, they, they've had a couple. They've had a couple, but it's only been – it's been guys that, you know, maybe weren't able to get in the lineup. It wasn't top-end guys. It yeah. wasn't their top players. They've had some guys that have maybe struggled to get in the lineup to that, that enter looking for, for a better spot. But they've also done a good job of recruiting guys out of the portal. Like Colin Graff was right. recruited out of Union. You know, he, he comes over from Union after a really good freshman year, plays in the NCDC, which, you know, a lot of people – you don't really think a high-end D1 talent coming out of that league usually – usually especially overagers uh, yeah. but he came into union as a 20 year old out of the ncdc and put up great numbers as a freshman came in and then came into quinnipiac this year as a sophomore and it's the number three score in the country like it just ex exploded 100 percent. let's talk about university of michigan now i know hobie baker talk is coming and i know the committee is getting together to discuss that and i can say this on the radio from all the nhl teams and nhl personnel that i've talked to and in my personal opinion if Adam Fantilli doesn't win the Hobie Baker, there's going to be some questions asked of like, <laughs> what were you guys thinking? And perhaps we're going to have to purge that committee because, yes, there's other candidates that are well-deserving of the the honor of being nominated. But from my perspective, I have not seen a player like that as a freshman in a long time that has had that level of dominance, not just offensively, but all over the ice. Oh, 100% agree. Uh, I am on the Hobie committee. We, I will be voting this week. Adam, the, the number one, we have to give our top five. The number one guy on the ballot was real easy for me. It's Fantilli. Uh, what is difficult is who ranks two through five? Because right. those last four, I think there's like eight guys that you could reasonably argue could be in those four spots. Uh, between Luke Hughes and Lane Hudson and Jason Poland and Logan Cooley and Jimmy Snugger. I mean, you can go up and down the list. There's a bunch of guys that could be listed in that two through five spot. But to me, Fantilli is the easy choice for number one. He impacts so many parts of the game. It's not just from a scoring standpoint. And if you really, if you dip into the numbers, uh, his, his year, this year as a freshman is as dominant as Kyle Connors was in 2016. It's as dominant as Jack Eichel's was in 2015. Like he is the is, is as impactful as those two guys. You can even argue, I think, maybe even more impactful because of, of the way he plays off the puck in certain ways. It's it's been incredible. He he's the number one choice. I think he should be a, a runaway winner here. Thoughts on and we we'll get into this next week as well in the Frozen Four talk. Thoughts on their opportunity, their chances of getting in. Like we talked about it prior and we were, you know, concerned about, you know, how dinged up people were, players were coming in and, you know, how that was, how were they going to be able to push their way through? And they did. Was there anybody else that sort of stood out to you 
from the regionals from from Michigan. From Michigan, yeah. I mean, look, Mackie Samuskevich scores that goal right. yesterday in overtime Huge. to win it. What a shot that was. Big-time shot from a big-time player, you know? Yeah, and Luke Hughes and, taking that huge hit to get that puck out of the zone. Yes, he blocked that that goal, that potential goal, but he knew he was going to get hammered, and he made a choice. I got to just whip it up the boards, up the glass. I got to get it out, and he got destroyed, and good for <laughs> him for making that choice. Like, I give him a tremendous amount of credit for that. Yeah, and I think that goes to show whether it's Sam Escavich or Hughes or Fantilli, there's, Michigan's got a lot of young guys that don't play like young guys. You know, they, they play like they're juniors and seniors. These guys are playing like they're they're hardened veterans and the and the decisions that they make and, and the types of plays that they're making. That huge play is a, is a huge example. Uh, that is that's one thing that stood out, I think, to me this weekend was wow, these guys don't sometimes freshmen kind of shy away from things physically. They're not as strong physically as as a part like no, that's not the case here. Like these these guys are playing like like twenty two, twenty three year old men, despite the fact that they're eighteen years old. Let's talk about BU, and we did mention like they had some injuries coming in. Um, guys were dinged up. We weren't sure how it was going to affect them. Clearly, they figured out a way. They got through it. They got through it. So Bernie Corbett's pretty excited right now. I can tell you that for sure. <laughs> I know he is. <laughs> I know he is. And how about Lane? I mean, oh my God, Lane Hudson. I mean, we you knew how good he was over the right. course of the year, but. We've really seen it through the playoffs, through the league playoffs and the NCAA tournament. His ability to get shots through from the point is amazing. I mean, it's like so, nothing. I've he's seen. so deceptive. That's his yeah, that's number. I mean. That's his number one skill. Is he's so deceptive oh. that he always um, forces defenders to pause, and that just gives yes. him that half second that's needed to do whatever he needs to do with the puck, whether it's hold, pass it, shoot it, like just reset, recalibrate where everybody else is on the ice, and then make the correct play. I think that's the number one thing. Yeah, and he facilitates everything back there because of it. It's amazing. I mean, I've never seen a defenseman get the puck through. There was, I mean, you go back, it was two weeks ago, but you go back to the hockey's championship game, the game-winning goal in overtime, he got the puck through four people before it got to the goaltender. (laughs) Like, the puck went through three guys on Merrimack before it got to the goaltender. It's His ability to get pucks through is amazing. Like you said, it's his deceptiveness. You you saw it in that goal against Western Michigan where it looked like his body's going one way, and then all of a sudden he gets a defender to commit, and then he gets the puck through on the other side. Like, it's just – it's amazing what, what he can do with the puck up top. And I think that covers, you know, for some of the guys there, because BU was banged up, you know, uh, and Weber is the, the biggest guy there that, that's out in the lineup, and he's part of that decor. Different, obviously, player than right. Hudson, but still right. plays an important role, and he just, he, he's been he's been amazing. You know, and he's a guy that, again, we talk about Hobie. Fantilli's number one, but 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 Hudson, you know, I, I, I got Hudson in my top three. After seeing him live at, uh, at BU, um, you know, I have to agree. He, he's for me. He'd be number two. He's such a difference maker. And if, honestly, like yeah. he really, he made the difference between them making it to the Frozen Four. Like he was the difference maker for them. Uh, before we have to let you go, we of course have to talk about University of Minnesota and the Golden Gophers. Talk about thoughts on them as well, and who sort of stood out to you, you know, as they pushed their way to, through to the Frozen Four. Kind of the same story as Michigan in, in the sense that they've got the younger guys that are kind of driving the ship there with Cooley and Snuggerud and uh, even Matthew Nyes, you know, is still a younger player, but playing really, really well. Always, you know, Matthew Nyes comes out to play all the time, but especially this time of year, it seems like. Um, but he's he was fantastic over the weekend. And then I still think, you know, the reason why I still think Michigan, uh, Minnesota's the, the favorite is they, they've got that 
Cooley. level of experience. Yeah, but they've got that level of experience on, on top of that, right? Right. Uh, and the guys like like a Brock Faber on defense who's going to lock things down. And yeah. that's something, you know, they've got a real mix of of guys that can light it up when you need to light it up and guys that can shut it down when it's, hey, we're protected on one goal lead here, you know, with 10 minutes left in the third. I would love to see Faber and, and Fantilli go head-to-head. Wouldn't that be yeah. fun? Because mm-hmm. I think I think Faber is the best defensive defenseman in college hockey right now. Like he he basically destroys plays. He just like yeah. shuts them down. Like he's I don't want to say he you know he's he plays a similar style when I watched him at that around that age as Mark Edward Vlasic when he was coming into as a young defenseman as San Jose and just just destroyed plays, just took away time and space and just stick and plays over. And so I would love to see that matchup. Like I'm a fan of like, yes, I want to see, you know, big teams go against each other. I'm really about individual matchups, particularly players who I know we're going to play in the NHL. And Cause to me, it's about, I'm just, you know, testing them against each other. So for me, I think that'd be super fun too, as well. So I guess we'll sort of see how that all plays out. Um, and we haven't, obviously we're going to have another week to talk about the frozen four as well. And it's in a great location in Tampa. So, you know, everybody's going to be streaming down there, right? It's, uh, uh, it's going to be chaos with all, you know, those four alumni, they travel well, so it's going to be fun. So <laughs> for sure. Well, Mike, want to thank you very much for coming on the show again. Always appreciate it. Look forward to talking to you next week. And we're going to chat about the frozen four again as well. Sounds good. All right, uh, it's, uh, we're going to take a quick break on Hockey Prospect Radio. When we come back, uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about the American Hockey League right after these messages. Instat Hockey offers the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. Trusted by leagues, teams, coaches, and scouts at every level of the game. There is no better choice than Instat to help in the areas of evaluation, development, and exposure for your brand. Their unmatched database saves coaches and scouts hours of time as individual player shifts and stats are pre-cut into separate playlists. Also, the option to edit, share, or download your own clips using Instat stats video editing tools visit instatsport.com slash hockey today for more information instat the institute of statistics the junior prospect hockey league is western canada's newest elite developmental stream for student athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level the jphl features professional coaches and skill development coaches along with comprehensive practice game and academic schedule allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs to learn more and see why the jphl is the ideal choice for your student athlete and family visit juniorprospectshockeyleague.com Outside Edge has built a reputation for guiding hockey players toward their potential and provides on- and off-ice development programs for hockey players. Outside Edge Hockey Development operates all programs on the philosophy of quality over quantity. Our strength, skills, and mental coaches understand the demands of the game and use this knowledge to develop strength, speed, and energy systems so our athletes can reach their potential. The Outside Edge programming features KPI-based strength and conditioning programs, skating, and skill development sessions for pro, junior, midget, phantom, and peewee. Contact us today at outsideedge.ca. Prospect News and Analysis. This is Hockey Prospect Radio with Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. 
We are back in powered by Instat Hockey, offering the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. We're happy to bring in Patrick Williams for our, our Around the AHL segment. And this week, we're going to talk about Lehigh Valley Phantoms as well as the Manitoba Moose. So we'll talk, We'll start in Philadelphia's farm system. Now, big changes potentially coming. We don't know yet. Um, obviously, Daniel Breer is the interim GM. Um, they're most, I would expect that they're going to name in the future a GM of Lehigh Valley. I know that's been bandied about that it was managed by both Brent Flair, their assistant general manager, and Chuck Fletcher, the you know their former general manager. But in an ideal circumstance of a proper off um, hockey operations department, you need a full-time general manager solely dedicated to the American hockey league. So I'm going to expect uh, once, you know, the GM role and the president of hockey op roles get solidified that that will be one of their, you know, first decisions is to get somebody in there to run that franchise. Because I think you and I have both seen when Fran, when American league franchises don't have somebody there, that's, 100% dedicated that it tends to come off the rails regardless of how good the staff is there or the coaching staff or player development you need that guiding hand there you ever been in an office or business where first day a new boss walks in right and everybody sits up a lot straighter and you know yes. with the gadgets and uh, you know looks like they're very dutifully working well that's a lot like when a new general manager now, and now like double that because, you know, we're going to look, be looking at a new president. Um, and then they, you know, Dave Scott today just announced he's retiring. So now you're going to have a, a Dan Hilverty coming in at the top of the Comcast Spectacore chain. Um, you know, like you said, AHL general manager. I mean, you're looking at several new faces here now. So um, we've seen it time and time again, right, that when that, you know, new regime comes in, you know, sometimes for players it's a great opportunity. Other times um, for them it maybe spells the end of their time in the uh, with the with the franchise. So all that being said, um, there's a lot we don't know right now, right? Like uh, Exactly. Everything I do know, though, about, you know, like starting with Dan Hilberty coming in, that, like, he's intense, like, he's no-nonsense. Um He's uh, a right to the point type of guy. Um, he's uh, you know he's not a hockey guy per se, but he's a fan, so at least he has that connection. But he's a sport. he's a businessman who understands yes. best business practices and understands operations and how it needs to be managed, and then the personnel in place that are required to ensure that proper processes and procedures and management is done properly. And when you yes. don't have, he's basically looking at Lehigh and like, who do we have managing that? Right. I mean, because you can't have somebody managing two different departments and expect that to be effective, whether that was Chuck managing both NHL and AHL or Brent helping them there as well. You're still like, you're still pulled in all these different directions. It's not possible in today's game to be able to do that effectively. So I'm really curious to see what happens. Then how does that affect the player development department? Because I expect there's probably going to be additions to that. Maybe subtractions. We don't know. And then what's going to happen with the coaching staff? Are there going to be additions? Are there going to be subtractions there? We don't know yet. 
Um, are they going to take a long look at the effectiveness of their player development department? How many players have been actually developed out of that, out of Lehigh Valley? What's our level of efficiency? You know, will, will the new CEO of Comcast m- make those assessments? Will he have somebody independently take a look at that so he can get, you know, an objective point of view of like, oh, okay, what have we done relative to our competitors in the NHL? Right. Cause I think that's a, that's a really important point. Like you've been around the American league for over 20 years and you've seen where what organizations have been effective and when they haven't been. And I like to always see, and you like to see is when an objective report and viewpoints come in and say, this is what you are comparative to your peer group. So what do you need to do to get into that top? You need to be in the top 10. If you want to be an NHL contender and you want to win Stanley cups, you got to be producing prospects and players at a top 10 in the league. Otherwise you're always going to be robbing Peter to pay Paul. And that, that's the thing, like, you know, there's been talked at this time, you know, like the flyers are truly serious about doing a full rebuild. Like none of the half measures that they've been doing for years and years. If that is actually in fact the case, and that actually does come to to pass, then that's a completely different story than if they try to do one of these like rebuilds on the fly. Um, And then obviously that trickle down effect has a huge impact on what you're doing in Lehigh Valley. Um, and I, I, I wonder, is this going to be more of a Buffalo style uh, situation where they, I mean, they tore it down pretty much to, to the foundation. So did, so did Toronto when Kyle Dubas yeah. came in, right down and, to the studs. And if that's the case, then you saw subsequent to that, that, like, so they brought in Seth Appert in Rochester, you know, real prospects oriented coach, real good with young high end talent. You know, they brought in, you know, Turka, they brought in Quinn, they brought in uh, Kulish, um, um, Rosine, like, you know, first round high level picks. So if you start getting those guys flooding through the the, the, the AHL affiliate, then that's a different story than if you're kind of sort of doing a rebuild. Right. A hundred percent. Let's talk about the Manitoba Moose as well. And I think they're uh, a v- exceptionally well organized, run well organization and of course, it certainly helps that, you know, your American League team is in the same city, obviously, as your NHL team. But, you know, I give uh, Kevin Sheveldayoff and obviously Craig uh, Heisinger a lot of credit for making sure that things are done properly. Like, and they're very on top of their operations. Um, every time I see them, they're like, they just seem like they're always like prepared for mm-hmm. any situation and having a chance to talk to, to Jimmy, um, Roy about that as well in player development, like he echoed that is like, they're so diligent about, you know, their processes. Talk about that, how that helps that organization stay where they are, you know, considering that, you know, they don't have a lot of money to throw around. Well, you mentioned someone like Craig Heisinger and like, you look at his background, right? He was with the Manitoba Moose 1.0 yes. uh, during the Vancouver years. And then um, obviously when the NHL returned to Winnipeg, he kind of now shifted into the, this role here, guiding the American League affiliate. Um, so he's very familiar with like, you know, both sides of that equation, the NHL side and the AHL side of that relationship. So uh, I think that's the first point, right? And then they, they brought it, they, they put a ton of resources in. I mean, the Moose are playing, or they practice out of the same facility as the Jets do. They added a three, three and a half million dollar addition to that facility strictly for the Moose. You know, so like you're putting like real money behind that. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, I've been there. You know, like I can tell you from my time covering the Jets, it's the same thing, right? Like they don't, they don't cut corners on on, on 
that sort of thing, right? Like those players are well taken care of. Anything you need, you have, um, you know, because it is, you know, like in the moose, you know, case of the moose, for example, like, you know, there are, you know, some, some obstacles that they face, like, you know, they're somewhat removed from the rest of the league. So like, you know, every road trip is going to be a four to six to eight game type deal. So, you know, you have different, uh, you know, it's, it's a different sort of situation than like a Lehigh Valley, for example, right. Where, you know, that presents its own challenges, but uh, you know, with the moose and with, with Heisinger and, and like a Jimmy Roy who came up to that same moose 1.0, you have Mike Keen involved, a guy that was, you know, three times Stanley cup winner and captain at the NHL level, and then played five years at the end of his AHL, his playing career in the AHL. Um, they, they know they've seen at this stage, just about everything you can see with a player, with a prospect, you know, you know, player X or player Y is going through this situation or that one, they know how to handle that. Right. And then you bring in a, like a real experienced hand, like Mark Morrison last year as your head coach. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, he's, you know, for anyone that knows Mark Morrison, I mean, you know, he's like a real even keel, like not too high, not too low sort of guy. And you know, I think he really fits that team well. Uh, and last year, you know, it was a really well coached, really cohesive tight team. And, you know, it's a lot, much of that the same this year, right? Like, you know, they've had turnover in personnel, but that that same culture carries over, you know, from one year to the next, I think, because of the people they have at the top. Well, I mean, if you've ever spoken to, you know, Kevin Shevoldayoff or Craig Heisinger mm-hmm. or anybody in that organization, they're, um, it's like they have ice, ice water in their veins. One of the things yes. I think I appreciate about them is that they get back to an equal equilibrium. Whether the team is high or low, they're just like, they're just like, there's no panic. Like, we're going to, it's okay. We've seen it before. No big deal. Work our way out of it. It's fine. Yeah. It's fine. I'm, I'm very familiar with the Chevy press conferences where, you know, he doesn't give you much. Like, he's like, but yeah, like that guy doesn't sweat. Like he's he's real, real calm. Same thing with Craig Heisinger. You know, I've known him for years and years, and um, it's that same mentality. Like, and I think it serves them well, right? Like, um, you, you, I think what you don't want in player development, you don't want somebody with with kind of a you know a real like jittery hand on the wheel, right? Like, you want someone that's going to be calm and not not overreact too much one way or the other, you know, with young players because young players are going to have their highs and lows. Yeah. Right? They're oh, they're going to be consistently inconsistent. So that's the way. They're, one night they're going to drive you crazy. The next night you're going to think they're ready for the NHL. And, you know, the truth is often somewhere in between. Right. So yeah. um, having that, I think that demeanor at the top of the operation really does help. Absolutely. Well, once again, Patrick, I want to thank you very much for coming on the show. I look forward to speaking to you next week about more American Hockey League. So uh, we're going to take a short break on Hockey Prospect Radio. We'll be back right after this. Instat Hockey offers the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. Trusted by leagues, teams, coaches, and scouts at every level of the game. There is no better choice than Instat to help in the areas of evaluation, development, and exposure for your brand. Their unmatched database saves coaches and scouts hours of time as individual player shifts and stats are pre-cut into separate playlists. Also, the option to edit, share, or download your own clips using Instat instats video editing tools visit instatsport.com hockey today for more information instat the institute of statistics 
The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Outside Edge has built a reputation for guiding hockey players toward their potential and provides on- and off-ice development programs for hockey players. Outside Edge Hockey Development operates all programs on the philosophy of quality over quantity. Our strength, skills, and mental coaches understand the demands of the game and use this knowledge to develop strength, speed, and energy systems so our athletes can reach their potential. The Outside Edge programming features KPI-based strength and conditioning programs, skating, and skill development sessions for pro, junior, midget, phantom, and peewee. Contact us today at outsideedge.ca. Welcome to Hockey Prospect Radio, your voice for prospect news and analysis on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Now, here's your hosts, Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We are back and powered by Instat Hockey, offering the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. We're speaking with Pat Malloy, player development skills coach, uh, about some topics. Uh, so we're going to segue into the next topic that integrates into the previous topic of the last segment this is this topic is the art of establishing body position and dictating terms of gameplay fascinating topic in that respect pat so give the listeners some background in terms of description then how that sort of applies as you're teaching it and then how that you know moves forward into when you're dealing with your clients how they can perform that sequence effectively yeah, I, I mean, I, I really think that body position with regard to puck possession and extending possession of pucks is maybe the, the biggest and most single, um, you know, largest area that I'll find a drafted player, um, you know, with my time, you know, working in the National Hockey League with two clubs when, when a player's drafted and comes to their first development camp where you see them, you know, in their first pro season in the American League, for instance, you know, a lot of times what you'll see is a lot of skills that worked in junior that weren't transferable uh, to the pro level. And the American Hockey League is a great example. That's a tough league. And, and so it really shines a light on things like, you know, a player's ability to establish body position when it comes to extending possession or, or taking enough of it uh, to heat in the play in order to make the next play. And, and what you'll find is that first three months, for instance, is a, is a really telling time for young players coming in because body position is not just the player on the puck. A lot of times it's the players without the puck too. It's an off puck concept where, you know, if, if we possess that space, it means our opponent doesn't. And so not only is it on ice drilling where we're recognizing, you know, how do I use my physical skills, my technical skills in a tactical setting that allow me to take you know, incidental and deliberate contact where I'm being defended against, you know, someone's trying to take our puck. Um, that's one aspect of it. Another aspect is, is going through shift video, showing players the, you know, the power not only with the puck, but off the puck of establishing body position, you know, by occupying space ahead of a defender, you now own that space. And it's, you know, the idea of the real estate of the game, there's only so much of it. It's like beachfront property. 
once you own it, it's yours. And so, you know, ending races before they become races is such a key thing. If you look at some of the, you know, for instance, the best teams or players that will defend against very dynamic or electric players, I'll think of Connor McDavid, for instance, what are the most successful teams uh, at defending someone who's virtually impossible in one-on-one settings to defend? It's by establishing body position, creating advantage with your movement and occupying space before that player has an opportunity to use their elite level skills to burn you with. And so uh, a lot of what we'll do from a developing prospects and then, you know, even established National Hockey League players that, you know, are wanting to improve results or they're wanting to say, you know, I, I've fallen off a little bit. You start to look, you know, some of the things that we start to see is, is are they a little bit behind in establishing body position in areas, especially when they don't have the puck, that gives them that access to the territory where they want to be and they want to go uh, to either, you know, create a puck acquisition route for them for themselves, uh, create a little turn or an angle so that they can generate a shot attempt uh, when maybe they were getting cut off before. And so there's a lot that goes into it, but when you put all these things together, it really becomes a difference maker for them. Pat, when I was growing up, I was a, a collegiate wrestler uh, and I was a terrible one. And uh, I thought I was an okay athlete, but I was, I was always uh, used as a human spin top and thrown 12 feet up in the sky. And it's because at the time, I, I didn't have the proprioceptive awareness to know exactly where I was positionally relative to an opponent who was weighing on me. And it took me a long time to get there. And even then, I still never had that elite level or innate sense for it. Like uh, what you're describing to me, I, I, I keep coming back to Peter Forsberg. Now, Peter Forsberg was somebody I feel like could leverage what you're saying at a totally elite level that is almost the caliber of his own. My question for you is, when it comes to proprioceptive awareness and when it comes to being able to develop these these qualities that you're talking about when it comes to translating, what is the spectrum of outcomes? Can you actually mold a Peter Forsberg from somebody like me who was a terrible college wrestler? Or do you feel that those really are more innate and you're just trying to uh, grab those and then fine tune what's already there? You know, again, sort of we talked about it or touched on it in the last segment in the individual approach to everyone's physical makeup and some of the tools that they have available to them. Um, but w- when you talk about, you know, the perception of how do I apply some of these things and then what can an outcome become, you know, a lot of times it's difficult because if it's not taught at a young age, it's you're, you're playing catch up for, for sure. Um, recognizing the power of action and reaction is, is, is really something when it becomes a guided learning, you know, I, I ask a lot of questions with athletes. What did you see there? What did you feel in this, you know, scenario? So if we're looking at video of, of something in an area we've identified as something we want to improve on and what you'll, you'll say, uh, or what you'll, you'll find players will say to you, you know, they felt pinched off or they felt like they couldn't take it to that spot or, you know, what they realize is they were reactive to defenders. And so it's really starting to sort of to change the concept in their mind that if I want to dictate the terms of this play, I've got to get the person doing the things I need them to do in order for it to trigger me into the things I'm trying to do. And so, you know, for instance, we'll talk a lot about you know, how do I cut into your hands? Well, you're six, four and I'm five ten, and you're big and you're strong and you're rangy and you, you, you know, I'm equally as so, however, you're bigger and longer than I am. So how do I get them to do the things I want to do? So creating a, a proactive mindset in drawing that player to a spot 
uh, into doing the things that we need them to do so that we can execute at the level we're trying to is really about changing the mindset of am I reactive or am I proactive in this? And so, you know, Forsberg was a great example. When you go back and you look at video of Peter Forsberg, one of the things that you saw an absolute ton of was him taking pucks to spots that forced people to make decisions. I'm either with him and trying to lean on him, in which case it cued, you know, Peter Forsberg to, to do the equal opposite of what um, the defender was playing him a certain way. It cued him into the next. And if you left him to go, he had the speed, the maneuverability and the skill to make you pay for it. So now, you know, based on that proactive mindset, he's created uncertainty in defenders because it's, if I try to stick with him, he's going to use me um, as leverage points, get me leaning and work off of me. And if I let him roll, well, he's got that, you know, the speed and, and the ability to shoot cross body and do some different things. And so that all starts with him drawing a defender into making a decision. And a lot of times, again, I, I touched on it in segment one where we had said, you know, we know how the game is coached. We know how the game is played. And those sorts of things can become fuel for us to recognize. We know a player is trained to do this. How do we get him to do what he's not trained to do? And, and that really becomes the difference maker for let's force that player into a decision because decisions create wrong decisions. If, if, if I force you into making a decision, it's either going to be right or it's going to be wrong. And if we round out the skill set that we have, and obviously um, from a tactical perspective, how we apply this, if I force you into one set of circumstances, there's fallout from that. And the more we can become you know, sharp with a player at recognizing what those triggers are and the corresponding next play, that really becomes a difference maker for them when it comes time to, did I establish, you know, the, the dictation of how this play turned out. Is Nick Lidstrom the perfect example of a player establishing body position and dictating the game probably better than anybody because sometimes we just look from an offensive standpoint, but I like to look from the defensive side is he forces offensive players to do the things they don't want to do ever. hundred percent. And body position is not just with the puck on your stick. I think that might be the clearest thing is it's, it's the idea of, you know, understanding the most valuable real estate within the game, but great example, you know, how much do we talk about how smart he was, how good his stick was, We'll break that down a little further. How much of that was because he positioned himself in spots that took the best options away for the players he was defending. And so inherently that's now created advantage for him. So, you know, winning races, how do, you know, I'll get that concept a lot. You know, how do I, how do I win a race against a faster player? Well, you end a race before it becomes a race. Mark Stone's a classic example of that. Um, you know, here's the player who, I think we can all agree if you put him in a foot race with Connor McDavid, we, we know who we're putting our money on yet. He's ultimately effective because of his ability to understand off puck movement, body position, as it relates to, you know, being preemptive in the way that he moves so that he doesn't get himself into races. He can't win, you know, Nick Lidstrom, another, you know, prime example of that is the processing was such that, um, you know, you, did you ever see Nick Lidstrom on a scramble? You don't no. find him scrambling for yeah, pucks ever happens. Um, or getting into foot races. And that's really, that comes back to body position. And it's, it's so effective and so important um, for every player on the ice, most specifically the players without the puck. 
A hundred percent. So that was a great example. We appreciate that. Pat, once again, fantastic segments. We always appreciate it. And we certainly look forward to speaking to you next week about some more player development topics. Great, guys. Thanks for having me. That's Pat Malloy, skills and skating coach and player development. Uh, we're going to take a short break. We'll be back right after these important messages. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skilled development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Instat Hockey offers the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide, trusted by leagues, teams, coaches, and scouts at every level of the game. There is no better choice than Instat to help in the areas of evaluation, development, and exposure for your brand. Their unmatched database saves coaches and scouts hours of time as individual player shifts and stats are pre-cut into separate playlists. Also, the option to edit, share, or download your own clips using Instat Instat's video editing tools. Visit instatsport.com slash hockey today for more information. Instat, the Institute of Statistics. Outside Edge has built a reputation for guiding hockey players toward their potential and provides on and off ice development programs for hockey players. Outside Edge Hockey Development operates all programs on the philosophy of quality over quantity. Our strength, skills and mental coaches understand the demands of the game and use this knowledge to develop strength, speed and energy systems so our athletes can reach their potential. The Outside Edge programming features KPI-based strength and conditioning programs, skating and skill development sessions for pro, junior, midget, phantom and peewee. Contact us today at outsideedge.ca. You're listening to Hockey Prospect Radio on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We're back and powered by Instat Hockey, offering the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. We're continuing to talk about player development with Pat Malloy. Uh, Pat, and this topic for this segment is creating adaptable players through awareness habits and dictation, dictation of based skill set. So, I like the fact of adaptable players through awareness habits, like situational awareness. So talk a little bit about how you help create more adaptable players with understanding that that's really a mental acuity that you have to end up then translating into a practical on ice performance. Yeah, I mean, video is a huge tool, but I, I find a lot of times video is used in such a, disciplinary way is that a way to put it in that you know as a coach if I sit down in a video session and say you were here you should have been here you should have done this you should have done that there's really no guided discovery for a player I'll start in situations especially revolving around how do I create adaptability in a player by asking questions what did you see what did you feel where was the pressure coming from in your opinion in this situation and from an adaptability standpoint, how much of their decision making was, well, I, you know, 
I was doing this because I, you know, I needed to get the puck here because I knew that if I turned it over that I wouldn't see the ice again, or, you know, it was better for me just to shoot the puck than it was anything else because then I'm credited for a shot on net and, you know, I stay out of the doghouse, if you will. From an adaptability standpoint, for me, it really starts with understanding the journey the player's going through, number one, and then number two, having them, you know, when you talk about the practical sense of things, you know, I'm a huge believer of having skill to solve problems in on-ice settings, but that doesn't come from me or from anyone um, giving them the answers. It's, all right, so if the problem is I need to possess this puck, Um, and I need to extend possession long enough to make a higher percentage first play, second play, corresponding play, Um, what what problems do I have to solve? Well, the problems might be, well, there's a threat to my possession, there's a defenseman bearing down on me, rolling me up the wall, or, you know, various levels of, of, you know, coverage coming my way, what's the, the play here? So really creating environments that are unpredictable for players and having them recognize, all right, you know, from a higher percentage standpoint, did I expose pucks? Did I move on touch? Did I create changes of angle? Did I lure people to the places that I can now recognize? Here's a cue. I've got someone reaching that has chased me up the wall. That's a cue for me to move into the next set of things that I know can extend this. And I can now understand the ability that I've created a reaching defender. Now I'm going to dictate the terms because their body weight is off. They've played their card. Now I'm in a situation where I can cut, roll, or make the appropriate play. So for me, you know, the adaptability component really comes down to, A, I've got a, a toolbox full of technical skills. How do I relate those to tactical settings? And what are my cues to be able to dictate the, the situation as it sits? In order to optimize the adaptive ability on the ice, or I, I, I kind of split processing between adaptive and preset processing. I'm, one conversation we had, Pat, we were discussing how you prefer not seeing preset handling on the ice. And it, does it come back down to what we're discussing now is the reason why is because if a player is looking to do a preset move set, they've basically limited their options and, and then put themselves in positions where they're going to get trapped and that they can't get out. So is that why you focus so much on adaptive handling and making sure that they have a more fluid and dynamic uh, handling skill set? hundred percent. I mean, one of the things that, that you find specifically with younger players, if they can skate, they really want to just skate. If they've got incredible hands, they really want to air to let's just use hands. Those things in unit, you know, are isolated skills. They don't necessarily transfer to the next level in terms of effectiveness. What might have worked in junior is probably not going to work at the pro level. So recognizing if I have a strong base of hand skills, for instance, rather than that be the, the thing that I lead with, how can I blend skating the game appropriately to create a scenario where I can allow the strength of my hands to become effective versus just an isolated skill that got me to this point you know how can i evolve that in terms of can i adapt the way that maybe i use that skill um, based on on the situations what can i do to create the cue that i know works well for me in terms of leveraging my strength as hands um, without it becoming a, a you know a detriment to the play because i err to the only strength that i feel that makes me confident or comfortable and that i possess and so you know adaptability comes from a recognizing pattern awareness i mean we, we've talked about this in past segments where 
Um, we know the game and we know how it's coached. And, and you know, in, for instance, offensive zone settings, we recognize what the defending team is trying to do. And we recognize how that impairs our ability to do freely what we want to do. So using that information and becoming adaptable at, can I create situations with my movement, with my preemptive movement versus reactive movements uh, to create a setting that allows me to succeed versus being completely reactive throughout a shift? But all the while knowing I have an adaptability that if it plays this way, I have this skill set to be able to counter and vice versa. Pat, I mean, when you talk about that, the, the player that comes to mind is Mark Stone about because I think he has really strong like adaptive, adaptive awareness and his habits are very much adaptable because he's not the fastest skater. He's an effective skater, but he has really he has really good hands. And I think he's an example for younger players that are listening that that's how you sort of put that together. And, you know, I thought it was really interesting about solving the right problem. Like what would have to be true for this problem to not exist in the first place? And I think that's, you know, part of the process of what you're trying to get through to the players. I show clips and video of, of Mark Stone to so many aspiring young pros because he's a great example of not letting the things that you can't do get in the way of, of the things you can do. And, you know, I look at a player like that, if, if, if he were to think of and just buy into all the things he couldn't do, where would he be today? And, and he's, be he's a great League. example. Yeah. I mean, he's such a great example of adaptability in that his situational awareness, which I find such an interesting topic because the situations players find themselves in are constant. You know, they have different colored jerseys as an opponent, but really the, the things and the situations players find themselves in are game by game, shift by shift every night. And so, you know, recognizing that not being oblivious to how do I manipulate these situations um, is, is a key for me and, and not letting the game play you instead understanding the ways that you can play the game. What about uh, contextual decision-making then let's, let's flip the coin here and say Victor Hedman's at the line. He knows he's getting defended by Mark Stone out of nowhere. He knows that he has an opportunity to pinch more aggressively because if he does get caught, he knows he can recover because it's Mark Stone who's going up the ice down the wing. hundred percent. And you know what I, I would say to a Victor Hedman in that case is you're going to want to make sure you establish body position on Mark Stone's stick because what we know is, is he's got an elite level stick. He might have the best stick in the world. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, yes, create a foot race out of it by being preemptive in terms of that, that movement. But, you know, be aware that this guy's got a stick that can make up for what he may lack in first step quickness. Um, so, you know, that idea of establishing body position, cutting Mark Stone's hand off prior to him having that become a tool to strip you of possession. Um, great examples, you know, great real time, real world examples for sure. And, and it, in your, I guess in your work is adaptability. That's that situational awareness. One of the top things you're trying to help your players recognize is let's solve this problem because it will solve a lot of the problems that you will encounter in the future, regardless of what skill sets you have. For sure. And it's, it's about creating environments where the athletes got to solve the problem. So we can take a scenario that occurs night by night, game by game, shift by shift, and we can dissect, you know, 
the, the logistic part of it of we know the defenders a outcome is this we know that our a outcome is this in terms of being a possessing player then it becomes how do i get ahead of this mentally how do i get ahead of what if this person plays me perfectly what is it that i can do to create advantage for myself and being adaptable to this person's a big strong defender they're going to get in and get heavy on me there's one set of you know options there what do i do if this person's an elite level skater keeps air off my hips and just steers me to the lowest percentage area possible so the ability to adapt to both of those situations becomes crucial because those two situations aren't played the same. And so maybe it becomes distribution and move to a space that allows me to, to acquire the puck in a better spot to create movement in the defense, to change the shape of a defense. Um, you know, maybe it becomes the situation is, you know, I've got to be a little bit more proactive with my contact. I've got to right. you know, initiate contact and those sorts yeah. of things. So it's about guiding them to the solution, not creating a situation where, you know, one plus two equals three. Right, right, exactly. Well, Pat, thank you very much for coming on the show. Once again, we uh, love the insight on player development and we look forward to speaking to you next week. Great, guys. Thanks so much. That's Pat Malloy, uh, player development and skills coach, skating coach. Uh, Brad and I are going to take a short break, but stay tuned. We'll be back right after these short messages. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Instat Hockey offers the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide, trusted by leagues, teams, coaches, and scouts at every level of the game. There is no better choice than Instat to help in the areas of evaluation, development, and exposure for your brand. Their unmatched database saves coaches and scouts hours of time as individual player shifts and stats are pre-cut into separate playlists. Also, the option to edit, share, or download your own clips using Instat Instat's video editing tools. Visit instatsport.com slash hockey today for more information. Instat, the Institute of Statistics. Outside Edge has built a reputation for guiding hockey players toward their potential and provides on and off ice development programs for hockey players. Outside Edge Hockey Development operates all programs on the philosophy of quality over quantity. Our strength, skills, and mental coaches understand the demands of the game and use this knowledge to develop strength, speed, and energy systems so our athletes can reach their potential. The Outside Edge programming features KPI-based strength and conditioning programs, skating, and skill development sessions for pro, junior, midget, phantom, and peewee. Contact us today at outsideedge.ca. Welcome back to Hockey Prospect Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. This is Hockey Prospect Radio, powered by Junior Prospect Hockey League, Western Canada's newest developmental stream for student athletes looking to take their game and studies to another level at JuniorProspectHockeyLeague.com. We're happy to bring in Sean Bell, a GPHL U18 head coach for Edmonton who did win the championship most recently. So congratulations for that. And thank you very much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me on Shane. It's, uh, it's a pleasure. It's been a, been a long time. 
I'm looking forward to talking to you about specifically because you have some really interesting experience, particularly over the last seven, eight years of coaching in some develop different developmental systems from different age groups, like 14, you know, up until 20, um, like from when you're in like junior A and these different developmental systems. I'd like to get your thoughts on player development strategies and the, the things that you've experienced taken away sat down, really thought about the processes and what you think are the best pieces you've taken from these different models that you brought to the G GPHL and said, well, this is a different way. This is, I think, is a more efficient way to develop players between that really delicate age group of 13 to 20 years of age. Yeah, I mean, part of the, I guess, part of the issue here in North America is that we are such uh it's it's almost ingrained in our brain that we have to win we have to win we have to win so coaches in particular at that 13 14 15 range they do everything in their power to win they play the best players all the time they you know it's, it's just a strategy like they have the structure that they they need to just go out and win games now i understand that hey i'm from canada too i want to win just as bad as anybody else however as coaches, our job is to develop the player and actually the whole team. Because if you're making your 12th forward just as good as your first forward, I think now there's that internal competition where everybody starts to grow. With that being said, you know, one of the things that I noticed, especially when I played over in Europe, is that they do skills basically every day. And it's not necessarily skills that you see here that are super flashy and, you know, everybody's trying to toe drag each other. It's they're very small, subtle, game-applicable details that if you can hammer home, then your your foundation of your game is a lot stronger. So that would be the first thing. And then the second one is, like, how do these kids start to think and how do they develop their, their brain and the creativity that you need to see to be able to get to a higher level? So one of the things that we do in practice, we play a ton of small area games. Um, we give them a small piece of structure AKA you can't leave this circle. And if you do, somebody else needs to come in and fill in your spot. Um, but outside of that, be as creative, be as creative as you want to, because that helps to stimulate some of these things where, you know, some of the best training tools or development tools right now is stick handle under this piece of, uh, you know, this apparatus and then that's, go not in applicable. And that's not applicable at all. So, but it's, you know, kids right now are, they're ultra skilled, but they don't, understand okay well what happens if that defenseman doesn't move on the move that you just did so now how can i think about you know plan b plan c what are my other exit strategies from there so we try to make them you know think about that stuff and in essentially get those creative juices flowing and i think that's really helped when you get into the offensive zone now they're moving pucks they're jumping open ice they're they're making plays that you know aren't just go down the ice on the left wing, rip it at the net, and then F2 is always just stopping at the net, right? And I think that's something that we get accustomed to. But um, it, it's just a, it's a really interesting topic because there's so much that we can dive into it. Um, but I just think there's got to be um, a mindset of allowing that creativity, allowing them to mess up, because now all of a sudden they get the confidence to make that next move or whatever it is, and then their game just flourishes from there. Well, I mean, those age groups, that's meant for experimental. Mm -hmm. That's what we're, we, 
we should put them in those situations is one of the reasons why I actually have some a little bit of leaning and favoritism to the club system in Europe in terms of you're there at a certain age and the whole purpose of the club system is to turn you into a pro player. Yeah. And like, we're going to help you from age group, age seven, all the way up as you go up through your stages. And it's going to be to the point where your play becomes autotelic in the fact yes. that you don't even think anymore when you're on the ice. And it's yep. really, it's about understanding there's reactionary plays and then there's plays that are automated and that yep. how you can switch from those as a player from one to another. So if you're in a situation that requires creativity with your offensive or defenseman, then you understand, like you can make those plays or that are necessary to create time and space for yourself. Cause that's what our game's all about. It's about yep. creating time and space and taking away time and space. It's really simple, but it's very difficult to do. hundred percent. And then, you know, with our U18 team, we, we say, here's our structure. We have our triple lane drive. So, what can we do after that? So can we roll over the top? Can we do like we call it ladder plays where you're going from F1 to F3 back to F2? Like that is as much structure as we possibly give you. And that structure only really is when you enter the zone. After that, like guys, this offensive zone, that's your creativity zone. Like I'm not going to tell you that you need to do this or you need to do that. I want to see what you can do. I want to see your brain start to figure out, okay, well, can I get this player on my back? Can I roll off them? Do I have open ice that I can utilize? That's what I try to tell kids. Because right, I don't want to Yeah, set plays. Set plays in the offensive zone doesn't make as much sense because every every team and every defenseman and every forge you're playing against every game are different. Yeah. So how can you have set plays for all these all these different variables? It doesn't make any yeah. sense to me. Exactly. And it's the same for me on the power play. I won't even, I won't give my team plays until honestly the last month of the season, because I want to see what you can do. Okay. Well, you've got eight teams in our league and I know that almost all eight teams pressure differently on the PK. So how can you react to it? How can you make plays when guys are coming in different spots? And once we've kind of got that figured out and then we start to add some plays and then we just become a better power play. So, you know, it's uh I think the development game here in Canada, it's it's okay, right? It's a little bit archaic because just in particular, the fact that we only skate for an hour and can you really accomplish that much in an hour? Well, no, because like I said earlier, all these coaches want to win. So all they do is practice this structure, this structure, this structure. Tactics. And then, yeah, it's now we just put ourselves in a little bit of a box and we can't get out of it. You know, and that's that's the interesting thing is like I think hockey Canada and as well as United States is push more towards a model of human development of understanding how people learn because it's not the player's responsibility to adapt to the coach. It's the coach's and player development staff to adapt to how that player learns. Everybody learns differently. I may learn from video. Other people may learn verbally. Like there's a different way. That's why I sort of rail against when the players go back to the bench and they look at pads and the, and other coaches get mad at that. But you have to understand that's how these players have learned their whole lives because that's how they learn at school. Yep. That's exactly right. And you know, the other thing I learned uh, when I was in Spruce Grove is just like active coaching. 
And, you know, you're not always trying to give a guy a, a negative critique about his game. Maybe it's as simple as like, hey, man, that was a great play. Like, what did you see there? And just trying to help them understand, like, what's going on in the game. And that act of coaching, like, we've incorporated it on our bench. And, you know, our bench is loud, but there's always feedback coming, whether that's positive, whether that's negative, whether that's corrective. It's just always coming. And now players are starting to open up and they're saying, okay, well, like, I can self-critique myself saying, yeah, that wasn't a good play because of these reasons. Now your hockey IQ is also expanding. Exactly. What part of it, like the understanding I'm trying to learn as well is, is you have to understand from the, from what the player sees. What did you see in that circum in that, in that circumstance? How did you feel in that circumstance? Right. And that's the only way you're going to figure out from what their perspective, because your perspective as a coach is entirely different. Yeah. Because they're the one that's on the ice. So you have to like take that information and meld it and then be able to find some type of information that's going to help them understand what the next steps are to help either correct that or to reinforce what you have done. See what you did there? Okay, what did you see? What did you feel? Yes, that was successful. These are the reasons why. Yeah, exactly. I, I couldn't have said that any better. You know, and that's what I'm really I'm fascinated is, is like taking different developmental models and integrate them. Um, and I think because of the club system in Europe, it's allowed those coaches to be more, I guess, not necessarily as effective, but they focus more on player development than the actual uh, of it before anything else. Because winning will come when the process is good. 100%. And, and the, the other piece of it, too, is that when you're in those systems in Europe, you're practicing every day. So now Western Canada, well, I would say, yeah, Western Canada, for the most part, is starting to come to Ontario but all these academies are now popping up everywhere and they're adopting that model of where you're practicing every day. Now, you know, we can get in another conversation of whether that's good or bad for these kids. However, these kids have developed their game. They're a lot more polished as they come in, but now it's just a, about identifying exactly what they need. Is it more about trying to develop guys? Is it more about trying to winning, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, for us, we practice for an hour and 15 minutes every day. And, you know, obviously we have our days off when we need it, et cetera, but we really, really try to focus on the development side of things. And for us, it's here's our 15 minutes of skill at minimum every single day. Sean, I want to thank you very much for coming on the show. Great insight on player development, particularly at the younger age group and look forward to speaking to you in the future. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much, Shane. That's Sean Bell. We're going to take a short break on Hockey Prospect Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Instat Hockey offers the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide, trusted by leagues, teams, coaches, and scouts at every level of the game. There is no better choice than Instat to help in the areas of evaluation, development, and exposure for your brand. Their unmatched database saves coaches and scouts hours of time as individual player shifts and stats are pre-cut into separate playlists. Also, the option to edit, share, or download your own clips using 
Instat's video editing tools. Visit instatsport.com slash hockey today for more information. Instat, the Institute of Statistics. Outside Edge has built a reputation for guiding hockey players toward their potential and provides on and off ice development programs for hockey players. Outside Edge Hockey Development operates all programs on the philosophy of quality over quantity. Our strength, skills, and mental coaches understand the demands of the game and use this knowledge to develop strength, speed, and energy systems so our athletes can reach their potential. The Outside Edge programming features KPI-based strength and conditioning programs, skating, and skill development sessions for pro, junior, midget, phantom, and peewee. Contact us today at outsideedge.ca. Prospect News and Analysis. This is Hockey Prospect Radio with Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. Welcome back to Hockey Prospect Radio on SiriusXM NHL Network Radio, uh, powered by Junior Prospect Hockey League, Western Canada's newest developmental stream for student athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. Always happy to bring on Dave Poulin for our Behind the Curtain segment. And this week's topic is managing internal and external expectations on prospects in the system. And why I think this is a really interesting topic. I had a conversation with a PR staff member in the NHL. It was quite a few years ago and they weren't going to give me somebody to come on the show as a guest. And I said, hey, you know, that's, that's up to you. That's fine. But I said, at the end of the day, I said, you don't want me to control your message. Like, don't you want to control your message and frame your narrative around your prospects? Because I think it's like it's not wise to let me to control your message. These are your players, right? And I'm like, I'm not saying that everything I say is going to be taken as gospel on our show, but we're on NHL Network Radio. And if the fans are listening and we're going to editorialize either way, so wouldn't you want somebody to contribute to that? Because at first he was just balking at us. And then 24 hours later, we got a guest. So thoughts on you know, managing those internal external expectations, particularly now with this is this is really the information age. I think it was easier to do before social media, but now with Twitter and all the other social media platforms and the advent of podcasting and blogging where anybody can do that now, you don't need a key to get into the door to be a media member that really you can you can do it. Anybody can do it. And yeah, it certainly what, is tougher. No question, Shane, it's tougher, yeah. but I'm, I'm not sure which is tougher, the internal or the external. And you know, I say that amongst <laughs> your own people. It's very challenging. And part of it is the way the system is built. It's an absolute that you have to have push from the bottom on entry-level contracts. I mean, at any given point, you have to have a handful of minimum contracts, entry-level contracts, once you've started to pay your high-priced players. And if you're getting good, you've started to pay your high-priced players. So once you get a half a dozen of those on the books, you have to look at the other end of it and say, we've got to have prospects and we've got to have them coming. And, you know, it starts on, on draft day. You draft a player. Um, have you ever heard anyone walk out of a draft and say, oh, man, we have a tough day in there. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> no, everybody loves – they love all their players. Yeah, everybody loves them. And, and you have to think that – you know, a, a fair assessment is probably, you know, everybody can get 
zero to 10, a lot of people can get zero to 15 or one to 15, a lot of people can get one to 20. Once you get into that lower third of the first round, you've got some variances, you've got likes and dislikes. And so there's another 10 people outside of the first round who got their first round, who someone they had placed highly in the first round. So the expectations are always high leading draft day. And then the development starts and you want your development department to be, you know, incredibly positive with this young group. You've got, you know, development camps, you've got indoctrinating kids to the newest of sports science of everything else. And you want to see progression. And it's very important that you handle each player individually. You have your blanket system, obviously, but Shane, I think the most important part is understanding everybody develops at a different rate. And there are a lot of different places where players can develop. You know, I was an NCAA college coach. I think some kids are perfectly suited to the four years of college. I've also had players that I've watched and I've coached who I knew were ready ahead of that. And you know, I want players to dominate at some level. I want players to be used to being the big fish, to be used to being the best player. Because once they get to the National Hockey League, there's a lot of good players. And if you haven't been able to take over and know what it's like to be the best, you might have a hard time surviving as a third or fourth liner. And so I think from a confidence standpoint, everybody wants to play up, even as kids. You know, the eight-year-olds want to play with 10-year-olds because they can't. Well, at some point, I want you to be the best. I want you to be the very best and dominate the league you're playing in and have that feeling and have that dominance. And so, you know, we had some different cases where there was a lot of pressure on us to bring up a Nazem Kadri. And, you know, he goes back that first year at junior. He's playing with London. You know, he'd been training to London, playing with London with the powerhouse. And even when he started with us in the American Hockey League, and it wasn't until a weekend when we went out to St. John in, in, in Newfoundland and played against them one weekend. And Dave Andrews, the commissioner of the AHL, was there. And Nazem was so good that weekend in both games. And Dave said to me, you know, that's one of the best performances I've seen from top to bottom in the American Hockey League. So outside source, no reason, yeah. no reason to say that. And just saying you know, he's got to be pretty close in your mind. And, and he was. But you want that finishing touch. You want him to know what that feels like to be the best in the American Hockey League for the confidence he's going to need when he gets to the National Hockey League. Well, it's what the talent pool compression is one. And, you know, obviously Toronto is a bit of a different beast because of the number of media and how much media attention they have. So there's more scrutiny upon sometimes those prospects, particularly them playing because they play in Toronto as well. So it's easy for them to go and see a Marley's game and add to it. But the industry itself in terms of prospects is is grown dramatically. When we started our show, we're in our 18th season. Nobody cared about prospects. Like I've had, I had, Media members tell me, why are you doing that show? No one cares about prospects. But, I mean, eventually, that we knew that was going to change. And it like we have a whole industry in itself. How much do you think that, like, no, no, we've contributed to it, of course. We'll, we helped start that. But how much do you think that outside influence affects what's going on? Not just necessarily internally, because it's there's other stakeholders. Like, there's the business side that listens. There's the ownership that listens. There's the friends of the owners that listen. You know, you guys get bombarded inside that. And, of course, you got to push that outside noise away. But there's always external stakeholders that like to push 
the buttons because well, they there hear are, but they it hear. still has to be yeah it still has to be your system of course they hear and you know free jake gardner for the toronto yes. marlies was the big statement at one point because he was playing well in the american league but if you're confident in your development system and the people you've got running your american hockey league team and you know i mean you've got to have a constant influx of players and and, and then it gets to a point where you're going to build up a surplus if you get if you're a bottom team and you get a number of draft picks and you're going to build up a surplus of prospects, you have to decide who the ones are that you want to keep. And then you're going to move forward and use some of them as, as collateral to accelerate the process of your NHL team. And, and you have to know, you have to be confident in your knowledge of who you're trading away and who you're keeping. And it's, it's constant because you know, the other teams, they do such a great job of scouting in the American league. Uh, they're in the buildings every single night and they watch and, they, and and somebody quite frankly may fit their team better than fits your team just because of the way you're you're built and and what your needs are right now so they are certainly to supplement your own team to push up in the talent pool but also their assets to move if you need to acquire from the outside how much do you think it's important for the team to talk about their prospects openly in programs like this and other programs, so they can control the message of how the player is developing, you know, in a positive way, but in a fair way too, as well. You know, ultimately it's up to you to decide. And, and, you know, I mean, I, there's no hiding players and, yeah. you know, everybody's going to have their own judgment. You know, I may really like a kid and you may look at him and say, I don't think he's got a chance. And, and there's two right. scouts that are veterans sitting beside each other just because he's not your flavor. Maybe he doesn't fit your team. Maybe he doesn't fit your system. Maybe I see a big stay-at-home defenseman. You're like, I don't have a place for him in my lineup. And, you know, I want all puck-moving guys. And, and so there's all different flavors, and that's what makes the beauty of the game. But I think teams are, you know, I mean, there's, everybody, there's all kinds of rating systems. And, and, you know, we used to rate our guys all the time internally. That's the important one. But you're constantly, you know, I want my scouts to come in and see my American League team as well the guys that they've drafted i want to see them you know have them play in the american league and see them play in the american league and the one little tweak i would like shane i'm just going to throw this in i think you know once a player has played arguably two years in the chl if he's good enough that he can move on but not quite a good enough for the nhl i'd like some sort of of chip if you will you know, maybe once a year, once every two years, if a player was drafted in the first two rounds of the NHL draft, if he's played a certain number of games in the CHL, then he can move forward to play professional hockey ahead of being, you know, fully aged out of junior hockey. And I think that's something that won't surprise me if we see that at some time in the near future. It's to protect the junior leagues. They want their star players back. I get it. But sometimes, and Morgan Riley's one that comes to mind where it would have been in his best interest to play you know, in the American Hockey League rather than go back to junior for another year. Absolutely. Um, I agree with that 100%. This has been another episode of Hockey Prospect Radio on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio, powered by Instat Hockey, often the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide, and Junior Prospect Hockey League, Western Canada's newest developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. You can listen to the show on your favorite podcast or on YouTube, and follow us on Twitter at HP Radio and HockeyProspectRadio.com. Thank you to all our guests, and we will see you at the rink.